hey, I recorded this episode over the course of about three or four days. Um, just giving you a heads up, it involves death. So if you're not interested in listening to someone grieving, probably skip this episode. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to throw it to myself, who's just going to kind of start talking right about now. I wanted to take the lead from a literary mastermind and start with Mark was dead to begin with. I feel like that's a little too on the nose for us, though. I seldom had a great relationship with my father. We were truly ships passing in the night. I'd feel like we were close, and he'd keep going in the other direction. I never really slowed down, either. Mark Reynolds Berdiso was born the second of three kids on November 25th, 1959. His parents passed before him. His older sister passed before him. He had an interesting childhood, I'm sure. And had I needed to write his obituary, I'm sure I would have put a lot more effort into looking up more facts. The sad truth is that he stopped existing officially on January 17th, 2023, and holy fuck has this been a long year. Not 2023, just the last 365 days of my life. I have a new, very much still alive baby, and now a dead dad. There were almost four months when they were both alive. I'm going to hit the music here, and we'll get into it. There won't be any commercials in this episode. So now that that's out of the way, um, yeah, hey, so three days after I uh, published my first episode back in a couple of weeks, uh, got a phone call from my brother, and unfortunately, our father passed away. Um, that was almost two weeks ago. It took me a while to process because, well, for those of you who know me in real life, uh, my relationship with my dad wasn't anything to really write home about. Um, it had its high points and its low points, and we were currently in the middle of one of our low points. There's always more that you wish you could have done. You're going to hear that story over and over throughout your entire life, so just be prepared for it. Your relationships with other people are just that. They're your relationships, and I always say that relationships are hard, Don't let anybody tell you how it should have been or what you should feel or how you're going to feel. You are going to feel a lot of things throughout your life. Feel your feelings. I would quote Jedi, but it's really not not a thing at the moment. We'll get to one later. But um, I did something unique this time when I when I set this episode up. I actually gave myself notes. Uh, So one of the things that I don't know if I've ever touched on is that um, the main reason why I wanted to get into radio slash podcasting is when I was younger, my dad actually used this really old stereo, had an eight-track player and a cassette player built into it. And uh, he recorded 
our voices over, I think it was a Van Halen track, but, you know, the tape is long since forgotten and gone. I just remember how cool hearing my prepubescent, you know, four-year-old, five-year-old voice on the stereo with my dad was. And then my sister actually the other day reminded me that uh, when he initially moved away to North Carolina, he recorded some stories, himself reading some stories to my sister so that she wouldn't, you know, forget him or forget what his voice sounded like or she'd be comforted by him reading to her. And I just remember... You know, all of those things. I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff that just hasn't bubbled up to the surface yet because we're still processing here. It's, again, not been a full 14 days. Um, a lot of those are reasons why I wanted to do this stuff. Uh, he and I had a lot in common as much as we had different. Um, my life wouldn't be the same Obviously, if he weren't here, because, you know, he's the guy that helped my mom make me. But um, we both had a love for barbecue. Uh, actually, one of my first few memories of us eating something together is this place down the street from where I grew up called Pilgrim Barbecue, which was in Ansonia, Connecticut, um, which has since closed its doors. And a they were known for having ribs, which we used to get all the time. And they had these things called DJs, which I am still trying to figure out how to make. But basically, their DJs were, they would take a potato and they would either quarter it or they would eighth cut it. So they would turn it into like longer strips. And then let's just say that they battered them and dropped them in the fryer because I feel like that's what they did, but they may have dredged them in flour and dropped them in the fryer. In any event, they they definitely did something incredibly delicious to them, so much so that almost 40 years later, I'm still sitting here telling you about them. Um, and the ribs were good too. The tacos and pizza that we are both fans of um, pizza being a huge part of my relationship with my dad, there's actually a pizza place in Monroe, Connecticut that may actually still be open. I didn't actually take any time to do actual research because I wanted to say actual or actually again. I feel like I didn't say it enough just then. But there's a place in Monroe, Connecticut that's called Country Pizza. And Country Pizza was a place that used to be next to a citizens band radio shop or cb radio shop that my dad would go to and go inside of sorry called effie's and we would go in there and he would meet up with one of his friends named bobby and they would talk for a while and then we would go next door and we used to go in there before they expanded so they actually expanded partially into what the radio shop was when the radio shop closed um and it was a really cool little Greek pizza place. We would just go in there and a lot. Um, one of the things to know about my dad is he always liked the path of least resistance. And he liked the path of least resistance so much when it came to food that, you know, my brother only really ate pizza and tacos so much so that now my sister is anti-pizza and tacos. I think there was a period of time 
when we were younger that she would actually like get so upset she would cry because we were all we would ever eat when we were out with my dad is pizza and tacos and I remember my dad saying well my brother doesn't Nick doesn't eat anything else so we can't go anywhere if Nick's not going to eat Nick needs to eat when in actuality I'm sure that you know 75% of that statement was true but the 25% of it he was leaving out is that he also didn't want to go anywhere else because he really liked eating where we went to um um, we also had uh beer and lasagna in common um but before I touch on beer and lasagna um I remember when we went down to visit him when he was in North Carolina he actually cracked one of his teeth while eating a taco I remember we were sitting in the Taco Bell parking lot and he had a hard shell taco and it actually cracked one of his teeth while he was eating it. So that was uh that was that was kinda exciting um to go through with him. Not really. Uh when it came to beer and lasagna, I mean he wasn't super fancy into craft beers or anything like that. But he did introduce me to uh Heineken and Grolsch. There's actually a picture he sent me not long after we were talking about uh, Bruno being born. That was a picture of me holding what looks like a Grosch bottle, but it's kind of hard to tell back in the 80s. They were all green anyway, so when a beer came in a glass bottle. Um, one of the other things that was kind of an interesting Memory for me was uh, scrolling back through his Facebook page. I uh, took the initiative upon myself and shared with the people on his page and, you know, his friends by posting a, like, a comment, basically, because in the early portions of when someone passes, Facebook doesn't have a process in place to like lock the page down. So I didn't want things getting out of control. And I also didn't want people to feel left out. I know that he he spoke to a lot of people. He kept contact up with cousins and uncles and aunts that, you know, I'm I'm not really familiar with, but I know he spoke to and he, he had a bunch of friends that, you know, he knew in real life as well as online. So I wanted to make sure that they were all as appraised of the situation as I, as we were. Uh, we found out at, at 10.30 at night um, because my dad was living alone in a house in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, um, which is not far away from Sandersville, which is still the very middle of nowhere. I mean, there's a lot of middle of nowhere parts of Georgia, but this is like population 1,000 or less in the entire city limits type middle of nowhere. Um, I don't even think that he, he technically lived in what's called Riddleville, which I don't even think there's over 500 people in that particular city, town, excuse me. Uh, which is in Washington County, Georgia. So it was so bad that they actually said, you know, it's Washington County, not just Riddleville. Uh, he had gone 
to a doctor's appointment to, to the emergency room with my sister because he was concerned about losing muscle mass and um, the doctors basically told him that he was at risk for congestive heart failure and that he needed to maintain, you know, with whatever was going on. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I didn't really get a whole lot of specifics because, I mean, I'm going to be fair. You know, my dad going to the doctor is a big deal. And he was never really a fan of going to the doctor anyway. So it should have really been a, a giant red flag hearing that he went to the emergency room. But it it wasn't. And uh, again, that's that's on me. That's that's something I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to navigate through. Um, but he he uh, came home and he made it about three more weeks. And from what they uh, from what the medical examiner could tell my mom over the phone is that basically his heart just stopped. He may have lapsed into a coma, or he may have just passed away at that moment. But, um, you know, the one thing that I asked is, was it painful? Of course, no matter how I feel, I don't want the man suffering. So, it wasn't, in case you're wondering, he had his cats and his dog around him, and... Yeah, so... Um, back on to the notes that I started to write. Um, seeing all the music that he created was actually really cool. Uh, we had a we had a common taste in music, and that in part had to do with him. Anytime he would uh, take us with him, we were always listening to a classic rock station in Connecticut, WPLR, which I'm sure is now including my music. Because it's been so long since my music was popular that I'm sure my shit's considered classic rock now, too. And, uh, yeah, so I got that going for me, which is nice. And, uh, it was nice scrolling through his page. I actually, actually ended up making a uh, Spotify playlist of which I might link to you through the comments in this video video in this podcast so if you want to hear some of the bands and music he was sharing uh, right before he passed away it's on there um i remember going i remember going with him to car shows um he had two friends who worked on cars he had a friend named rick who lived in Shelton, and he would take us up there every so often again. You know, my, my parents divorced when I was about nine, eight or nine years old, and they had shared, they had joint custody, excuse me, not shared custody, the joint custody of me, and uh, my brother and my sister, of course, so they would share where we were going, and usually it would be on the weekends, and most every weekend mostly um sometimes it was every other weekend sometimes it was one weekend a month it just depended on what was going on but my dad would usually take us back to his apartment which was in Shelton as well and then we would go see his friends or we would go hang out we would go eat pizza 
And one of the things I definitely remember doing the most with him was going to visit uh, his friend Rick and his friend Bobby. His friend Bobby actually worked in a shop that was uh, based out of Milford. And that shop is single-handedly responsible for my minor obsession with 7-Eleven because it was pretty much next door to the only 7-Eleven that I knew of at that time in my life. Which I would then come to find out there was a second 7-Eleven in an adjacent city in Naugatuck, Connecticut, which was a lot closer than one in Milford. However, I did not know that, being a child who did not have a driver's license. So we would go in there sometimes, and they would sit and talk, and I would walk next door. My dad would throw me, you know, like five bucks, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, if you want to have a good time today, uh, give yourself $10 to go spend at a 7-Eleven, or a quick stop or your Circle K or Wawa or, you know, whatever, whatever's closest to you. Just give yourself 10 bucks and allow yourself to spend that $10 however you'd want to. Uh, you will quickly find out that even though inflation sucks, nothing feels quite as good as going in there with the $10 and just buying whatever you want, even though in the back of your head the whole time you're like, I can get this cheaper at Walmart. I could have bought three of these at Target for the same price don't don't do that just give yourself the 10 bucks and go in there and get yourself a bag of chips and a candy and a a slurpee or a icy or a freezy or whatever they're calling them in there and just just go nuts man you're you're gonna find out that you feel like the richest man in the world i mean hell i go in there with 20 dollar budgets and still come out with change and as an adult over 21, I'm still walking out of there with beer and bags of chips and cookies and water for my wife and, and carbonated beverage. I mean, seriously, $20 gets you quite a bit if you aren't in there to, you know, clean them out and think that you're going to, yeah. Anyway, so that would be my mild obsession that 7-Eleven actually came from that and then we used to go to car shows a lot too, um, and there were always car shows down on the beach um, in Savin Rock, which my dad used to tell me was a huge carnival place when he was a kid, so that's why he would take us there. They used to have rides and go-kart, not go-karts, uh, roller coasters and just all kinds of stuff, and then by the time he took us there, it was pretty much just a bocce court with a walking path that went behind a restaurant called Jimmy's of Savin Rock. And then there was uh, another place called Phyllis's of Savin Rock. And what I remember of Phyllis's is that they actually relocated about four or five miles off of Savin Rock. And they were still in Milford. And you could go in there. And I remember my mom and my dad both talking up the lobster bisque. Um, to this day, I'm not quite sure what was in it. Other than it obviously containing lobster. But they sure loved that stuff. And I just liked the fact that they had hot dogs. And they did clam boats. Which, if you're not from New England, if you take a hot dog bun and you're looking at a hot dog bun sitting on the counter, imagine that the cut isn't in the side. Imagine the cut's in the top and you have to, like, spread it open. Kind of like... God, I wouldn't even know how to describe what how you would spread it open. Uh, two Two pieces of bread and a loaf. You just kind of pull them apart. Imagine you're doing that, but you're not trying to do it all the way down. Like, they're still connected towards the bottom. And then we were lucky because, you know, we would get hot dogs. And that's the kind of bun they would use. But for a clam boat, 
that's the that's the kind of bun you would use there too um it would be yeah it would be really good um <laughs> they were just pretty tasty and again uh yeah um like i said at the beginning of this segment not not everything was um great um my dad and my mom got divorced again when i was 8 9 years old and uh my dad did everything he could to uh express how not happy he was with that decision and i think i was well, I'm trying to think of when he moved away. It wasn't, it was maybe four or five years later. Uh, we went through several, well, he really only lived in about two places before he decided to move. And I'm almost positive that it was 100% due to the fact that he lost his job at the uh, stabilizer place. Um which is funny because I'm thinking about his obituary and he worked for this place called Hartley and Parker, which I remember him being so excited to get the job. I remember I was laying on my mom's bed when he came in and he was happy that he was working there. My mom was happy too because, you know, stable job, good income. We were staying in, uh, well, at that time it would have been considered, well, now it would have been considered a three-bedroom apartment, but I think at that time it was a two-bedroom apartment. It was on the second floor in one of those Connecticut apartment-style houses, which pretty much every house in a in Connecticut where we grew up in southern Connecticut, every home that you drive past is a multi-family house. Um, there were very few houses that were just meant for one, and multi-family houses usually consisted of two or three levels. Sometimes it'd be four, but every level would be a, its own separate, uh, quote, apartment and, uh, you know, yeah. So short version of that is he lived, we lived in a, on the second floor of this apartment. We had an attic above us. And then the people on the first floor had the basement below them. Um, but the attic and the basement were in a shared hallway that was located by the entrance to our apartment. So the only way to get to the basement or to the attic was to go in through this side door, which was our side door. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because the people downstairs had our, their own entrance on the other side of the house. Um, but they could also go in through that door. Anyway, so I just remember being in there. And then when the divorce was finalized, my mom and brother and sister and I, we moved to Seymour to live with my aunt in a house, a single family house that was literally a single family. Again, very rare, but we found one of the very few single family houses there were in Seymour. And uh, my dad moved to Shelton, and then he stayed in another massive, um, I think that one was actually four floors, because I definitely remember there being uh, one, two, three, and then I think him being in the attic was four, and that was considered a studio apartment that he was in, but it wasn't a studio, because it had an actual kitchen, it just didn't have a bedroom, it was like one big room, and you can go in the back way, or eventually go in the front way, because they built in a set of stairs to go out the front. He was there for a couple of years, too. Um, but it was always a struggle seeing him. And there were always 
challenges um, getting to him. Sometimes those challenges were just that he would come to get us and he would be, you know, broke. Which, again, please don't get me wrong. I, as a 40-year-old man, I understand. I do. Even for the mid to late 90s that we're setting this story in. Like, I get it. Money's not plentiful. And when you're a single parent, gotta take your kids like once a, once a year no <laughs> once a week it can't possibly be easy to constantly have money around money available my dad was notorious for you know whenever we would ask him if we could go do something for pulling his wallet out and opening it up and showing us there was no money in it but then never really being sure if he had money because you know like i could do math <laughs> And I remember we just went to the ATM and he had just withdrawn cash. And we weren't talking about going to do things that cost thousands of dollars. Like there was an arcade down the street at one point near Shelton Pizza Palace. There was this little like shopping plaza mall thing inside. And it was mostly an arcade at that point. And I definitely remember him taking us in there quite a few times. Um, he also had to go offsite to do laundry, which is hilarious because that actually ties into why I hate going offsite to do laundry so much is he had to, he had no choice and same here, like we have no choice. And then his cousin moved in. I'm pretty sure she had a washer and dryer hookup. So he was able to, his cousin moved in in the downstairs. She was on the first floor when we lived there, but, um, Things didn't always go swimmingly. Um, there were a lot of challenges being his son and being the product of a uh, divorce. Uh, my mom and dad were constantly not happy with each other, I guess is the best way to put it. It, it, it was a never-ending cycle of crazy for a while. And that crazy would get to be too much at times. But I was 9, 10, 17, 18. You get the point. There were a lot of things that I could sit here and go over failures-wise. Everybody's father has failures. So this isn't a unique phenomenon. I don't think there's a single person out there. I would venture to say that even somebody you'd consider to be the best father in the world, their kids are going to have some failures to highlight. But I would like to highlight um, the failure of my dad to do anything other than what was in my dad's best interest. And this is going to be important as we get towards the end. Um. When my dad and my mom got a divorce, it was in my dad's best interest for him to stay close by. Um, so he did initially. He moved one, two towns over technically because it would be Derby, then Shelton. Well, Anzonia, Derby, then Shelton. He moved three towns. Anyway, the point is he didn't go that far, but he went far enough. And he stayed relatively close for a while and held on as long as he could. 
I don't really know the circumstances of what happened at work. I was unfortunately too young and have lived a life that doesn't allow me to remember why he decided to leave. I'm under the impression, my my bad memory being what it is, that he got a better job offer in moving down to North Carolina because there were some boat building things that were opening and my dad had been involved in making uh, boat stabilizers for a while. And so he just decided he was going to pack up shop and see what he was going to get. He took his friend Tracy and her daughter Elizabeth down there with him. That would be short-lived, but that's okay. Um, It worked out the way it worked out. My dad ended up renting a trailer outside of Newburn, North Carolina, uh, about 20 or 30 minutes outside of downtown area Newburn, which is where Pepsi was invented, in case you ever wanted a little tidbit of info. Coca-Cola was Atlanta. Pepsi was Newburn, North Carolina. Um, And then he was about a 15 to 20 minute ride from one of the closest gates uh, to Cherry Point, which was a Marine base that did a lot of uh, weather reconnaissance. And that's where he would meet uh, his good friends who right up until he passed away, he'd still remain in contact with Jason and Maria Little. Uh, And they had two daughters, AJ, the youngest, and the older one, Brianna. And I'm sorry that took a little longer to recall than I care to admit, but uh, apparently the way they met is that Elizabeth, my friend's, my dad's friend, Tracy's daughter, yeah, that sounds great, um, kind of walked up to and started just randomly talking to Brianna when they were both like three or four and they you know, started talking, became friends. And then, you know, before we knew it, we were coming down to visit and Jason was enlisted active duty and working part-time at a Shoney's. So uh, that was life for them, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into that later. This is going to be a ridiculously long episode in case you hadn't figured it out by now. Um, but he welcomed us into his house and uh, there were a lot of parts of Jason's background that I won't get into too many of them but they were an amazing couple and they were kind and nice and generous to myself my brother my sister while we were there whenever we would go to visit and then my dad was in charge of hanging on to us for a lot longer I think There were a couple of brief visits that we made. I can remember my mom and dad agreeing to meet halfway, which if I remember right, would have been Virginia. Let's pretend. I don't think it was actually Virginia. I think it was the bottom of the Jersey Turnpike. But the point is, there was some driving, uh, a few rest stops involved. And, you know, one of us had to wait for the other and then vice versa on the way home. So that way nobody was spending too much time. But I know there were a few where we just spent like, a weekend or we were there for like a week but there was one summer when we were there and it was the entire summer I want to say it was at least four to six weeks that we were there and my dad managed to get a DUI which 
when he got a DUI and he got arrested and his friend next door, who, again, I'm going from memory, I believe his name was Brian. He's not been in any of these stories since then. Uh, he had his own kids. So I was there taking care of the kids and the two of them were out doing what, you know, adults do. And then my dad got a DUI. And then, of course, the challenges become now, you know, North Carolina at that time had a law that you got your license taken away from you the first time you get a DUI and you have to pay for it, get it back. And it was just a zero, it was a zero tolerance for a DUI. And I remember him instantly jumping to, well, if your mom hadn't insert reason here, I just remember it being my mom's fault. My mom was, you know, 400 miles away in Connecticut, not forcing him to drink, but it was his, it was her fault that he got a DUI. I remember Brian coming home um, that night and all of us kids being in his place, which he had like a, a little more stable, a little larger place that he was staying in. It was pretty much across the street from where my dad's place was. And uh, he came in and he just was instantly like, call the president, call everyone. You know, this is this is illegal. He shouldn't have been stopped. We weren't even that drunk. And it just, you know, it. It was crazy. It was crazy. Um, but I remember my dad saying that the reason he got a DUI was because of my mom. So there's, you know, there's that. Though when we finally do get back home, um, some years go by and it might have been a year, could have been two years. And then he makes the defining mistake of my relationship with him. So we had moved out. We were living with my aunt for a while. I think I told that part of the story earlier. And uh, my mom had decided that we needed to move out. Uh, they weren't really getting along all that well. And get, renting an apartment was going to be a solution. So um, we'll save the sob story of what it was like living in there. Because, you know, my mom was doing the best she could. And we were doing the best we could. But suffice to say, my brother and sister are sitting at the window one night. Because my dad has called and said he's on his way. And I got to listen to my brother and sister cry that night. And the next night. And the night after that. Because he didn't show up. He wasn't on his way. He wasn't calling from pay phones. He wasn't coming. I know he eventually did come up. I couldn't tell you how long after that it was. But I remember having to comfort them during that time when my dad didn't show up. And the hardest part of this for me right now is that I'm so far away and I can't comfort them when he's not there. I can't be there for my brother and sister. Because he didn't do what he was supposed to do again. He went to the emergency room with my sister, a relationship that he had just started rekindling. And he went to the emergency room and they diagnosed him with type 2 diabetes. 
and uh, pre-congestive heart failure, basically. He was on his way to having his heart stopping, and he still managed to stop for pizza on the way home with my sister. And then she, you know, got him peanut butter and oatmeal and, like, tried to tell him he needed to reduce his salt intake because this was a serious thing. My dad's been complaining about his extremity swelling for the last few years. We couldn't even convince him to take Advil sometimes when his shoulder hurt. And now my brother and my sister have to walk around. Carrying this grief and this guilt and this blame that they're going to put on themselves for the rest of their lives. Because they feel like they could have done more to save this guy. This guy who, for my intents and purposes, I loved, but always had an excuse. There was always a reason he couldn't do something. He'd always say, I'm sending a package up to you guys. You know, it's going to have some stuff in it so that you know that I'm thinking of you. And... If it was a lottery, I probably would have had a better chance of winning a $2 free ticket most of the time than I would have had from getting the things that my dad sent to me. That's not to say that he didn't have his good, too. Because he did. He had his good spots. But his inability to hold himself accountable for his own actions, take responsibility for what he did and what he created, created a huge rift between he and I throughout my entire life. And we were in one of our low points, of course, our low contact points when he passes away. So now I have to, you know, spend some time and heal up from that, so to speak. Because that's not something I'm ever going to really be able to forgive. He promised to be around as long as he could. I have to assume that he was around as long as he could. Because if I see this as anything but that, it makes me angrier. And I'm sad for my brother. I'm sad for my sister, sad for my mom, I'm sad for my son, and in even some small way, I'm sad for my wife, my son, because he'll never meet his grandfather, even have a picture of his grandfather holding him, and for my wife, because my wife only knows what I've told her, and I am a huge fan of letting people form their own opinions. And I don't feel like I've done him a service by not letting them meet. But that's not to say he didn't try to get down here. Um, Because he did. He did try to come down here. He tried a lot to come down here to Orlando since we moved. Um, He actually had promised me a car. Uh, at one point, just prior to his passing, which, I mean, we're not talking like weeks prior, but he had tried to come down here. I want to say if it was not the summer or fall of 2019, 
It was the summer and fall of 2018. It was pretty close to the time that he moved out from my brother's place. And when he moved out from my brother's place, he um, took with him, you know, of course, all his stuff. And one of the things that he was bringing with him, in addition to his truck that he just purchased, was a car for me. It was a Subaru. I honestly couldn't tell you what make or model it was because we didn't really talk about it enough for me to remember. I'm sure he told me, but I didn't want it. Um, Mel and I have been very fortunate to be here for so long. And prior to having Bruno, um, we've been using one car. So we didn't need a second vehicle. We didn't want a second vehicle. And I didn't want to put the added expense on us. We were having enough trouble as it is paying for just the two of us prior to our son arriving. Um, so he had initially wanted to come down here and he wanted to bring the car with us, with him and then leave it here, of course, for us. And I told him that we just couldn't afford the insurance on it and that the insurance on the registration alone would, you know, basically be an extra $150 a month, which for us, that's our electric bill. That's our internet. It's expensive to put it another way as I'm in the middle of a yawn because it's been a long day and I've recorded this in several segments. So rather than editing this part out, I'm just going to say thank you for listening through as I try not to yawn in your ear. He was flawed, but he wasn't without good spots. So one of the best things that I remember is I watch wrestling because of him. I think one of my very first memories of going out and doing anything in public as a kid was going to New Haven Veterans Memorial Coliseum. I had to remember the full name of it. Um, we just called it the New Haven Coliseum. But it was in downtown, and it was during the height of WWF. So this could have been anywhere from 84, 85, 86, 88, 89. I know I wasn't that old, but it was definitely before my parents got divorced because we were still staying in the apartment in Ansonia. And um, I remember going and seeing the Brooklyn Brawler take on Hulk Hogan. And I remember we came home with the foam finger, which Hulk rules, Hulk still rules. Long since gone, of course. Souvenirs don't really matter in the long run. But I just remember going and, and being there and looking up to him. And, and him coming home and telling me, all about how, you know, they they were just faking it. Nobody really got hurt. You know, there was nothing to worry about. They would go in the back and they would divvy up the money and, you know, fast forward to the future and realizing, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. That is actually what they do. Whether they'd have you believe that or not is a different story because, again, it's all an act, but what on TV isn't an act? I remember, like I said, the very beginning, wanting to get into radio because he just, just because he recorded my voice 
on the stereo with a little, you know, handheld microphone. It wasn't anything to write home about. It's probably about the same quality level as something you could have got. We could get off a of wish now, probably from the dollar store from Radio Shack for what it was worth. And he just recorded my voice with his. And I think, again, I think it was Van Halen's song. He put my honor roll sticker from middle school on his Camaro, on his sports car. My student is on the honor roll at Seymour Middle School. He made sure my brother ate when he stayed with him by taking us to places my brother would eat at, which, like I said earlier, drove my sister nuts, but he made sure to take care of my brother. There's a lot that he did right. I think um, one of the things that I don't really spend a lot of time talking about, aside from just my family in general, is the like intimate nuances and the real reasons behind why our relationship was strained. I never really felt like I could talk to him. I feel like on the few occasions that I did question him or ask him to explain something to me, it was always just, well, I'm your dad and I know better. I feel like at least with my mom, the relationship evolved to a place where I could have those conversations with her. And now at 40... I can have some conversations with her that I wouldn't have been able to have with her when I was 14. This failure on my end um, led to the burden of taking care of him, falling squarely on my brother and sister's shoulders for the last 15 or 20 years of his life. I happen to look back through some of my information um, that I have from when I used to have everything backed up into the cloud and the last honest uh, time that he and I talked or had any conversation outside of after we had a short messenger conversation about the birth of my son and his grandson was all the way back in 2013, 2012. That would have been right as I was getting out of a previous relationship and he had come up to hang out. He had taken uh, a um, futon out of my ex's apartment because she was getting a sofa within the day or two after he was taking it. And so he came up and I'm fairly certain we went out to eat. I know there's some texts in there about going to Steak and Shake. And then the relationship just kind of just kind of did what relationships do when you don't maintain them. My brother and sister both um, kept him open and, you know, coherent, so to speak. Tried to keep up with him in his health condition. Um, he had at that time... <clears throat> 
excuse me, he had at that time started noticing that he was getting some swelling in his hands and his feet. And that was, again, more than 10 years ago now. And he went to go live with my brother. He was staying in a place in Mississippi, and then he moved in with my brother. And I'm not going to pretend to speak for Nick. Okay. I don't know what was going on. But what I do know is that when I would talk to him, he would become increasingly aggravated at the situation that he had put himself into. And he was always waiting for his lottery payday to come in. He had filed for disability around this time. And he was always waiting for that money to show up. And so you'll forgive me, Nick and Lane, if I harbored quite a bit of anger against him for packing up his shit and moving away from you guys again. Because that's what he did. He didn't want to be around anyone. Him moving to where he moved in Georgia was his way of saying, I'm close enough. And that was the closest he had been to us outside of when he was living with Nick. You guys shouldn't have had to deal with it. And what frustrated me more than him moving away again and trying to get as far away as he possibly could from us was that he didn't even bother trying to take care of my brother. He didn't even leave Nick with anything that I know of. No amount of help for letting him stay in his house. Like it was just expected of him to let my dad just live with him. My dad got a payout and then he was able to collect money from social security disability. He left my brother with nothing. He just went and bought a property out in Georgia, moved into a trailer all by himself. Why? It ties into my anger. And every time I would talk to him, there was always some excuse. There was always something going on that he couldn't do the things that you would expect your father to be able to do for you. And it eats me up to see my friends and family who knew him talking about how they're going to miss how he used to text them and how he used to check in on them every so often and how he used to ask how they were doing. And you could get upset with me because I didn't do that for him. And you can get angry at me because I didn't text him and check in on him. But the truth is my dad and I never really had conversations 
even the day that he checked in on me about Bruno. We didn't have a conversation. He asked me He asked me, so I hear he's born. And I, I'm like, yeah. He says he heard from my mom that he was born. I mean, we, we start with my dad sending me a wave emoji on September 27th, the day after my son was born. He was born on September 26th. Then I say, hey there, how's things? And he says, besides being very quiet, okay, everything going okay? Then he sends me two videos of his property. We were expecting a hurricane at that time. So he says he had to cut the grass before the rain comes. And then forgive me for a second, okay? Because this is where my anger comes from these type of interactions. My dad and I hadn't spoken before this for months. And I do mean months, plural, like, a long fucking time. And he asks, are you going to go home and stay with your fur kids? I know you're torn between being with the wife and the little fellow and keeping the fur kids safe. Is there anyone around that you could ask to take care of them? This is within the first few messages I exchanged with my dad after the birth of my son. I don't know the man you guys are talking about. I don't know who this is. I don't know who you guys are upset about missing. I have no idea because I, I don't, I don't have this right now. I don't get it. I reply back to him. There isn't anyone I can ask to take them out of the apartment. I'm stuck. We also don't have renter's insurance at the moment. So I'm glad that the universe chose this time to remind me of how easily everything can be taken away from us. Because it was magical in that moment. He just replies with, ah, wow. So you're staying with the fur kids? I definitely understand. It's a tough decision. I think you're doing the right thing. Their lives are important too. Hopefully this time goes farther north and you won't have issues like before. And then I reply with, I'm still at the hospital with my wife who had a C-section and my son. And here's where I'm at, guys. His next response is to me, I have to sift through so much to find an ounce of humanity in this man. 
because I'm telling him that my wife is recovering from a C-section and my newborn son is here and I'm debating on how I'm going to handle my life at that very moment. And he just jumps into, well, I have the, the pup and 11 fur kids now and a few deer and 12 rabbits that come to visit every few days. I can get within a few feet of them all now. I'm trying to do my Dr. Doolittle impression. And yeah, I've seen the postings and your mom and Nick let me in on some information. Didn't say a lot. Just let me know y'all are okay. Is he sleeping a lot? You did a lot of sleeping. Then you did a lot of eating. You were very mellow as a youngin. You loved being in someone's arms. Then he sends me a picture of me wearing diapers, holding a beer bottle, a picture that if you know me, that wraps me up. And I'm probably at most two years old in that picture. I'm walking around holding the beer bottle in my hands. And all of my anger at this point is still very focused, but I have stopped paying attention to the phone. And then he sends me what I'm going to refer to as the one most human thing he has ever said to me in my entire life. And I have it typed out in front of me, and I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to editorialize it a little bit because it's my dad speaking. Anyway. He says to me after he sends me the picture of me, Hey, do me a huge favor. Sit in a quiet place and breathe. Everything is going to work out. I was terrified when you were born. Then I got to sit with you and hold you. And your mom said that it's going to be a bit tough for a while. But life is going to be awesome. And she was right. As you grew up, life was awesome. And hopefully you'll find that it's scary in the beginning. But so awesome as the little fellow becomes a little person. Life is awesome. Just breathe and hold on because it goes by so damn fast. And then I reply with, he's been sleeping a lot too. Thank you for the tips. I appreciate it. And then our little thumbs up emoji in the chat was the clinking beer glass emoji. So he sends me one of those. And then he says, like his dad, that's so awesome. And then the next day he resumes sending me the normal videos that he would normally send me once every couple of days through Messenger. I never really got to have good conversations with him. I never really got to have much from him. And I never really understood why. Never really understood why my brother had to move in with him in order to get the attention that he wanted and needed. I never really understood why my sister basically had to wait until she was in her 30s until she had some kind of a relationship with him. And I understand that me harboring all this anger does nothing when all said and done just made me angry. And it made my relationship with him wither. And it doesn't make it any less painful.
Just because I'm angry at him doesn't make this any less painful for me. And over the last three weeks, I have sat on this couch and cried more for this man than I ever thought that I honestly would. My wife had never met him. She heard his voice the other day because I found a video of him talking to one of his cats that he sent me a while back and I played it for her. He was supposed to come down here. I had a little Disney vacation planned at some point. Just like I still do for my mom. I've also been wrestling a lot with the fear of dying. How long am I going to have left? Can I help my son get to a place where he won't be so mad with me? Can I make it to where he doesn't just have pictures of me to remember? Because I'm so fucking angry. What happens after? Does it hurt? Was my dad in pain? And I'm still processing everything. The first few days, it was like a wave that would be broken up by some laughter that would turn into a longer wave that would be broken up by some silence that would be another wave that would... And they just kept going, and they were no rhyme or reason to them. Now it's like once a day. And honestly, I would say the last few days, it hasn't been once a day because we've had so much going on. My wife's last day working at one of the theme parks was, was over, and I was so focused on that and caught up on that, trying to keep her together. That I didn't think to let myself feel anything. I was so focused on what she was feeling and how she was acting and trying to support her through this time. This is a big deal. I could probably break this podcast up and go through every little bullet point that I've gone through and break them down. But I can't. The only regret that I'm ever going to have is that Bruno won't even have a picture of him and his grandfather together. I'm not really even sure how many of my dad's friends knew that he even had another grandkid. And at this point, that's 100% on me and uh, something I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. I didn't know when or if he was going to get better. And honestly, 
until he went to the doctor, I didn't know that he was bad. Again, he had just been complaining for the last 10 or so years about swelling in his hands and feet and that the doctors were telling him to cut down on the salt. He never said anything about needing to go, you know, for anything more involved than that. I've decided not to put any kind of ads in this episode um, because I'm not here to profit off of death. Death is much a part of life as anything. And um, I will give him the respect that he earned, I guess. I haven't said anything. I've been very quiet lately. And I probably will continue to be for a while. I looked back on his Facebook page a couple of weeks ago, right after this happened, and I started putting together a Spotify playlist for him. Based on the music videos that he had shared to Facebook. I know it was a lot. It ended up being, I think, almost three hours worth of music on there. Actually, I can answer that better if I switch gears. And There were quite a few. Yeah, actually, I created the playlist. There's, forgive me, it wasn't two hours. It was almost 12 hours worth of music, and that was just me going from pretty much the day before he passed, or two days before he passed, forgive me, all the way back to December 6th or November 6th. I think it was December 6th that I got back to. And my game plan is to go back even further. Um, Spotify does this lovely thing when you're putting together a podcast where they keep track of what's on the podcast. So, or not podcast, uh, playlist. Uh, I keep saying beep, buh, buh. So I'll go back someday and sit here, just scroll back through his timeless. Uh, my brother was able to get his profile memorialized, so there won't be any further questions for anybody who hasn't visited. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long road. It's been a long road, and uh, this Tuesday is going to mark three weeks. Since my brother called me to tell me what happened. It's the day before my Aunt Laura's birthday, by the way. <laughs> and we found out he was gone. So, <clears throat> excuse me. If you made it this far, thank you. Um, my father, Mark, will be missed, but he won't be forgotten. Thank you for loving him while he was here. I hope his next life is a more fulfilling experience than this one might have otherwise been.
I love you, Dad. If you made it to the end of the episode, like right here, it's important for you to know that I had originally included a Spotify track from Eric Clapton's Unplugged Apple album, wow, entitled Tears in Heaven. Um, this song is very important to me because my dad had to rent a one-bedroom, like a room, one-bedroom in a house for a little while. And when I would go to visit him, he could only take my brother, my sister, or me. That's how small the room was. So he could only take one of the three of us. And when I would go to visit him, he had a five-disc CD player, which I would later inherit in my life, along with the stereo that it was connected to. And this would be one of the albums that was in there. So it was a toss-up between this track or Layla, which is an acoustic version, not the Derek and the Dominoes version, which is amazing, by the way. But it was very interesting that Spotify chose to lock down the episode. So if you are just listening to this, know this episode has been available for over a week, and I... I'm doing much better than that ending, and I really appreciate you listening in as I decompress through all of my little issues with my dad. So thank you again for listening. I didn't expect to be recording a bonus track, but hey, here it is. And uh, thanks for giving me two more minutes of your time. I'll let you get back to the rest of your night or day. Thanks.